Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Danny Malenkoff. Well, three weeks ago, we began um, a new series for this new year uh, entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Do What? Pray. Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Um, This morning, we are going to take a look at prayer, continuing on, on this journey of prayer, we're going to continue to look at what Jesus said regarding how to pray and what especially to pray for. Persistent praying, or your friend at midnight, is, is how I've entitled this morning's message. As I shared with you the last time we were together, um, I have become more and more convicted and convinced that I need to pray more. I don't know if anybody else is coming under that conviction. As I see the events that are taking place in the world, as I see events that are taking place in my own life, as I see the great need for Jesus that is out there in the community that most people are not aware of, I recognize that the only way, the only way for God's Holy Spirit to work upon people's hearts is if we pray. And we need to pray. Yes, the Holy Spirit will work even if we don't pray. But God has especially asked us to pray. And so we want to learn how to pray. I certainly want the Lord to teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray, Lord, is what I've been praying for. It's, it's so easy to just go about our work and get involved in the busyness of work, the busyness of sharing. And to be honest with you, what comes naturally to me is to be out there visiting, to be out there doing Bible studies with people, to be um, organizing and planning and running seminars. That's what comes naturally to me. What doesn't come naturally to me is to stop all that and to go away in the bush somewhere, which is where I like to go, and just to spend quiet time with the Lord in prayer. Because I'm tempted, and I know where this temptation comes from, it doesn't come from God, if I'm not busy doing what I should be doing. The work won't get done. And the Lord says to me, Danny, do you remember what I did? I was here for three and a half years on this planet. And in three and a half years, I accomplished everything that I needed to accomplish. And I was able to say, Father, I have completed the work you have called me to do. I've completed all the work you have called me to do. And how much time did I spend in prayer, Danny? I spent a lot of time in prayer. And so I'm beginning to realize, and through experience, I'm beginning to realize when I take the time to pray more and stress less and sweat less that God is able to do in five minutes far more than I will do in five years. And so I'm beginning to learn this lesson that doesn't come naturally to me to be still and know that I am God. Um, nothing wrong with working, nothing wrong with being busy, um, and, but there is no plan B as far as prayer. And really the only way, the only way our loved ones, the only way our neighbors and our friends, our community around us will be reached with the love of Jesus, will be reached with the message that Jesus is coming soon and he wants to save as many as are willing to be saved. The only way that'll happen is if we pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our lives, into our church, and to use us in a mighty way as he did 2,000 years ago in order to reach out 
to those who are around us. There is no plan B. There is no other way. So with that realisation, I am asking the Lord, Lord, teach me to pray. Really, really pray. We want to plug into that heavenly power plant. We want God to release his mighty power on behalf of those who we are desperately seeking to reach for him. And I know that you are as desperate to reach out to your loved ones who don't know Jesus or who may have walked away from Jesus as I am. In a week's time, I'll be conducting another wedding, my cousin's wedding down in Melbourne. And I have, um, I have 17 first cousins. It's quite a few. And um, of those 17 first cousins, as far as I know, there is only one that is walking with the Lord. Only one. How am I going to reach them? I can't do anything in my own power and in my own strength. So I'm praying, I'm desperately praying, Lord, you need to do what you have promised to do to reach out to these precious cousins of mine and family members and so on and so forth. So that's what we want to look at today. We want to take a look at what God is willing to do if we will simply pray. And we're going to discover how we need to pray. So before we continue on, on this journey, we're going to pray. I know we have already prayed, but we're going to open up God's Word in a moment. And I hope you've brought your Bibles. Does everyone have a Bible? You want to track this message. If you don't, we've got, our, we've got spare Bibles out there. Could some of our friendly um, deacons, yes, thank you so much, Whammy and Leif. If you need a Bible, put your hand up and you'll want to track this message from Jesus this morning. Um, so before we pray, we'll do that. Put your hand up if you need a Bible. You may have a Bible on your phone, that's cool, or on your tablet, that's, that's fine as well. But if you don't have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to take it. Anyone else need a Bible? Okay, we're all right. We've all got a Bible. Anybody else? Going, going? Gone. Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're about to open up your word and, and zero in on the words of Jesus, who is going to teach us some more of what it means to pray to really pray. Lord, I ask and I pray on behalf of all of us that you will indeed teach us how to pray this morning. So may your Holy Spirit be here. May we understand your word, for we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I shared with you, I've got about 17 first cousins living in Australia, living in Macedonia, living in Italy, living in America, um, scattered all over the place. I've also got tons and tons and tons of second cousins. Um, and I was in Macedonia in 2008 uh, running, running a program and I was visiting one of the villages where my grandfather's brother lives who had about eight or nine children and pretty much all of them live in that one village. And as I was um, visiting them, I hadn't been for 15 years. The last time I had been was 15 years before that to visit them and... Um, and if you know anything about Eastern Europe, um, you'll know that hospitality is a big deal. It's a really, really, really big deal. And so here I am going from one cousin, one second cousin, to another one, and everywhere I go, guess what they're giving me? Food. They look at me and they say, this guy needs food. <laughs> he needs lots of food. So they're busy killing chickens and um, doing whatever else. 
uh, the words getting around that, that Danny is coming, he's making, the, he's making his way through the village visiting. And, um, and by the way, by the way, I can't believe it, but I didn't put on any weight on the ship. Can you believe it? My neighbor, who went on a cruise only a few months ago, put on 10 kilos in two weeks. And I couldn't put on anything. It's ridiculous. It's kind of like a waste. But anyway, I feel good about that. But anyway, so I'm going, I'm going from house to house, and they're all feeding me. They're giving me a drink, and they're feeding me. And by about the seventh or eighth house, because I could only spend about an hour or so at each home, I was only there for a couple of days, and I had to go to another village and, and, visit, and visit some others. Um, I'm telling you, after about the seventh or eighth meal, I was really full. <laughs> and, um, and I was just so full, so bloated. Oh, it was an awful feeling. Their hospitality almost killed me. And, um, but it was It was lovely. It was lovely to catch up with them, and they were showing their hospitality. Now, Jesus told a story about hospitality. Hospitality, Middle East style. Now, in Macedonia, hospitality is a big deal. In the Middle East, hospitality is an obligation. Okay? If a friend or even a, even a stranger turns up to your house, you need to provide food and provide water and provide Provide for that person. Go over in your Bibles and we need to Luke chapter 11 and we're going to pick up this story. And what Jesus has to teach us about prayer. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. Luke chapter 11, I'll give you a page number, page 1493, page 1493, page 1493. No PowerPoint today, kind of unusual. So you'll have to be listening and um, paying attention and zeroing in on your Bibles. So Luke chapter 11, um, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Jesus, in the preceding verses, has given his disciples a model prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we, as we call it. And um, at the conclusion of his prayer, he continues on with these words, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, Lend me what? Lend me three loaves. So what's going on here? This person has a friend who's turned up to his place and he's turned up at midnight, as you do. <laughs> turned up at midnight, didn't bother phoning ahead. Just turned up, there he is, on his doorstep at midnight. And as I pointed out, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, when someone turns up, your friend turns up, regardless of what time they turn up, you need to ensure that they are well fed, they got, that if they're hungry, which he most probably would have been, that he's fed, that he's watered, and so on and so forth. And his friend is asking for three loaves of bread. He goes to his friend, he goes to his next door neighbor, and he says, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Nothing to set before him. There was just no coals, 24-hour coals up the road to go to, to buy some bread. He was stuck. He didn't have anything at all. Nothing at all. And to have nothing is no excuse. He needs to find food. And he's gone to his friend, and he knows that his friend has food, and he says, please, please give me some food. 
We continue reading the story. And his friend will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. He's saying, hang on a minute. My family's asleep. And I can just imagine, I can just imagine his friend is there inside the house and he's, he's sleeping there towards the door. And you've got to remember uh, the kind of situation that is taking place here. Back in, in Israel 2,000 years ago, and Jesus here is addressing generally peasants, you know, poor people. They didn't live in the kind of home that we have where there's a lounge room, there's a kitchen, there's a dining room, there's a garage, there are three or four bedrooms. No, 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 no. That's not how the poor people lived. The poor people lived back then as they do in many parts of the world today. They lived in one room. So they ate there, they slept there, they lived there, they did everything in that one room. And often, often, because they lived in this one room, the whole family slept on the one bed. That's how my parents grew up. They slept all in one bed. With my grandparents and um, two or three little ones there by their side. Anyone experienced that? Anyone had to do that? Okay, some of you have, yeah. How many in your family? 14 kids. No, no 12 kids, was there? Or 14 kids? 14 kids and mum and dad. So... They were all in the same bed, all in the same bed. So anyway, what's happening here and, and the Middle East, you've got to understand the inconvenience of this whole situation. So not only are they all sleeping together, most likely, okay, this is what the, the listeners to this parable that Jesus is sharing uh, are, are hearing and imagining. Not only are they all sleeping, but often, often the... The household animals lived in that one-bedroom home as well. And imagine that, one big happy family. So the chickens and the goats and the sheep, and they're all there. You're thinking, how are they all there? Well, what they would do is they would often have the bed um, and the place where they ate and where they slept about 18 inches off the ground, like a little platform. And they would put um, their bed mats on, on there and they'd sleep at night and they'd take the bed mats off during the day and eat and so forth. So the animals and the chickens could roam below and they could be up top and have some peace and quiet. So here is his friend and he turns up at midnight. Kids are asleep. The, the door is bolted. We're not talking about a door that you just get the lock like we do today and just click and it's open. No, 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 no. This door was heavily bolted. There was a, there was a, big, a, big, a big deal in getting this door shut and then a big deal in getting the door open. And he's like, I'm sorry, I cannot, I cannot open the door, the door is shut, the children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I don't want to wake up my kids, I don't want to wake up the chickens and the goats and the sheep, rustle around, look for bread, I can't do it, I'm really, really sorry. Not that it was stingy, but it was just inconvenient. I mean, who wants to wake up the whole household? Imagine him opening up the door and one of the chickens flying out. He's got to go chasing the chicken at midnight. Very inconvenient. So this is what is taking place here. But, Jesus goes on. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his what? Persistence, he will rise and give him as many 
as he needs. Persistence. I looked up that word persistence. And you know what the word is in the original? It's shamelessness. <laughs> shamelessness. This guy is so bold, or we would today say, oh, the nerve of him. Have you ever heard someone say that? The nerve of him. How could he do that? This guy, he, he's not going to let go. He's going to keep knocking on the door until he knocks down the door or until that door is open. He's not giving up. This person is persistent. He will get that bread. He's got nothing to give to his friend. And he's not going back to his friend unless he gives him the bread. Now you think about that for a moment. What is Jesus here talking about? Jesus here has been speaking of the Lord's Prayer. Then he zeroes in on what we especially ought to pray for. Think of the bread. What does the bread represent, do you think? The Word of God. What did Jesus say when he was tempted? Man does not live by what? Bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus here is bringing out a powerful story. Powerful story. Now think about this man. He has this stranger or his friend. Okay, his friend has come by. He's, he's on a journey. And he's, he's hungry. He's hungry for the bread of life. He doesn't have it. He says, I have nothing to set before him. Do you have, do I have the bread of life to give to someone who is on their journey through life? I don't. I don't have it. And you don't have it either. Who gives the bread of life? It's Jesus. Guess who this friend is? And by the way, Jesus is not someone who you've got to twist his arm in order for him to give you the bread. Okay, this is a parable of contrast, not of comparison. Jesus here is not comparing what God the Father is like. We're going to discover what God the Father is like very, very shortly. But Jesus here is saying that you and I have nothing to give. And there are people journeying through life. We're all journeying through life. And it may be at midnight, at midnight, that that person will come into your life. You've been praying for them. You have been pleading on their behalf to God, petitioning the throne of grace. And the opportunity arrives. They come to you and they want to know about Jesus. What do you do? What do you do? You go to your friend. You go to your best friend, Jesus, because you have nothing to give. And you plead for three loaves of bread. Why three loaves of bread? Well, you see, in the mind of the Hebrew, in the mind of the Israelites, three is the number of completeness. You remember Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember Peter denied Jesus three times? And then Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the completeness of the Godhead in three. So he asks for completeness. But notice what God will give if we continue to be persistent, if we continue to be bold, if we continue not to give up. The Bible says his friend gives to him as many as he needs, as much as you need you will receive. 
Now, what is God really like? How much is God willing to give to us that bread of life, first and foremost for ourselves and then for us to share with others? And by the way, you can only give to someone what you already have. Isn't that right? And Jesus in the Lord's Prayer earlier on had asked us to pray in verse 3, give us this day our daily what? Bread. And that's, that's, a, that's focused on me. That's focused on me individually. So what Jesus is saying is first pray, Father, give me my bread. I need my bread. And then he says, once you have received your bread, there will come a time when a stranger will come through on his or her journey. He will need bread. She will need bread. I'll be there. I'll be there. You come knocking on my door and I'll give to you as much as you need. Now, how much? How much will God give to us this bread of life? And how much does he love us? How much does he care? How will he respond? Will he respond like this individual who is basically forced into opening the door because his friend will just not give up? Have a look at verse 9. Jesus here goes on and he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will what? Find. Knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be what opened ask seek knock those words are in the present continuous tense now for those of you who weren't very good at english including myself what does all that mean that simply means that jesus is saying continually Day by day, continually, do not stop asking. Do not stop seeking. And do not stop knocking. Do it continually. So this is, this is God. This is what God is like. God wants us to continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. And the second part of what Jesus is saying, and it will be given to you. What that means is that once we ask in faith, once we ask for that bread of life to give to him or to her who is hungry, who is like sheep, what did Jesus say? Like sheep without a shepherd, scattered, weary, like sheep without a shepherd. We can believe that we will receive. It will be given to you. You will find. You will receive. That word there, ask, literally means demand or be persistent. The word seek, the original word there is eurisco. What was that word? Eurisco. We get the English word eureka. Anyone know what eureka means? Where was eureka used? On the gold, oh yeah, on the gold fields. When someone cried out eureka, what were they saying? I found gold. What's Jesus here saying? Jesus is saying, if you keep on seeking, you will come to the point where you will cry out, Eureka! I have found gold. I have found the bread of life. I have found joy and happiness. I have something for myself. I have something to give. 
Everyone who seeks, finds, knock, and the door will be open to you. Don't stop knocking. Like the parable, knock until the door is open. Keep on knocking. Jesus, in fact, in Luke chapter 18, he, he gave another parable of a persistent widow. And um, the aim of the parable, according to Jesus, was to show his disciples and all of us that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Now, without being misunderstood, we need to clarify how much Jesus wants to come into our hearts and into our lives. We don't need to bash down the door of heaven for Jesus to come into our lives. In fact, Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus says, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. So why do we have to be so persistent? I thought about that. I really thought about that. Why do I have to put everything into it? Why do I have to be so persistent? And then I realized that unless, unless I'm so persistent, unless I seek for the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, I will go back to my old ways. I will not completely surrender my heart and my life to God. And a heart that is not truly surrendered to God is a heart that is susceptible to the work of the enemy. You think about it. How much cancer do you need to have in your body in order for that cancer to take away your life? How much? Just the smallest fraction, isn't that right? Just the smallest fraction. I've shared with many of you, some of you may not know, I was diagnosed in 2007 with a malignant melanoma here on my right shoulder. Tiny, tiny little thing. It looked like a mole. Everybody thought it was a mole. The size of my little pinky nail. That was the size of this malignant melanoma. Tiny, look at me. I'm a big, bustly, burly guy. And it's, well, not quite. <laughs> it was that tiny. But you know what the doctor told me? And he didn't need to tell me, I knew this already. Unless that melanoma was completely taken out of my system, completely. And I mean, if I showed you, if I took off my shirt, which wouldn't be a good idea, but um, it is like a massive scar about that size to take out this tiny little thing. And I'm like, and there's like a hole, a bit of a hole there. Not that I need to lose any weight you know, take bits and pieces of me. And I'm like, why are you taking so much off? Why are you creating a big hole? And he's like, well, I've got to make sure I take not only that little bit, but I've got to take a lot around it to ensure that it, it hasn't gone anywhere else. Unless our hearts are truly surrendered completely, they are not safe. We need to completely surrender. So how do we pray? How do, we, how, do we, how do we know that we are praying for God's will to be done? Because asking and seeking and knocking is on the basis that we are asking and praying for God's will. Go over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
How do I know if it's God's will for me to have something or not? That's a good question. How do I know? Luke 22, verse 39. Let's take a look at how Jesus prayed. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. The Bible says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Did Jesus ask? Absolutely. Did he seek? Yes. Did he find? You may be thinking, oh, I'm not sure. What did Jesus pray for? Jesus prayed for the cup to be taken away. Jesus prayed, Father, is there a plan B? Is there another way we can save the human race other than me having to drink this cup, this very bitter cup? Is there another way? Is there another plan? And Matthew tells us that Jesus prayed not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times that prayer. Father, take this cup away from me. But he added, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Did Jesus receive his answer? Yes. Was it the answer that he wanted? No. He wanted the cup taken away from him. He was human. He was divine, but he was human at the same time. Who in their right mind would want to drink that cup? And it wasn't the physical pain that Jesus was concerned about. It was a spiritual pain. <clears throat> It was that spiritual alienation from his father that he would experience because of our sins, separation from his father. That was the pain that Jesus was concerned about. That was that cup that he wanted taken away. There are times when Jesus says, yes, I will take that cup away. Then there are times when Jesus says, no. I won't take that cup away because I know what's best for you. But when that cup is not taken away, what can we expect? We can expect that which Jesus received. Notice what the Bible says. When that cup was not taken away, when the Father said, My son, you must drink it. There is no plan B. Verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven doing what? Strengthening him. That cup is not always taken away. That bitter cup, that bitter cup may be the cup that God has ordained for you to drink. I don't understand. I, I can't give you a reason why and how. All I know is that God loves you and God wants what's in your best eternal interest. But what I do know is that just like Jesus, just like Jesus, God will send his angels to strengthen you. He will strengthen you so that you are able to take that cup and that you are able to drink that cup. He will strengthen you. He will help you. There are times when God says, wait, wait. 
Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John 15, 7. In John 14, verses 12 to 14, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So how are we to pray? According to the words of Jesus, we are to pray, Father, do that which will bring honour and glory to your name. Do that which will draw me closer to you and will draw others closer to you. God will always answer that prayer because that is praying in harmony with his will. I want to invite my friend Leah at this time to come and to share because if anyone, if anyone has, has gone through uh, a serious trial, it's certainly her. She knows what it's like to drink that, that bitter cup. Leah, firstly, oh, let me give you, do you want to grab that, grab that microphone? That would be great. There we go. I think that's on. Hello. Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Leah, firstly, um, welcome along, and it's great to have you here sharing. Thank you. And um, Leah, um, the enemy didn't want you to come and be here, did he? No, not this morning. I um, <clears throat> woke up this morning and was throwing up, <laughs> and I don't normally throw up every morning, <laughs> but um, yeah, I wasn't feeling well at all, and I just, I didn't know I was going to be here. I really didn't. I rang you up and mm. weren't feeling well, and we said a prayer, and God willing, I was here. So, yeah, yeah. no, it wasn't fun, and, um, but I, I'm feeling okay. I'm a bit weak, because everything I ate came up, well, I didn't eat anything, but I, tried, I was trying to drink water, and kept on throwing oh. that up as well. So. Oh. And you've been, you've been reasonably well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, weeks. I have been sick as many yeah. might know but um, I have been progressively getting better and my health has been improving so this was completely out of the blue. Out of the blue. So I, wonder, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder who was at work. Well, we yes. don't need to wonder. I don't believe in coincidences but thank God you were here. We prayed and you were here. Now Leah, um, you grew up in a, in a Christian home. Uh, your your mum is here and um, brother's here. Yes. You grew up in a Christian home and um, you went to church, went yeah. to Christian schools. Yes. But yep. then things... <clears throat> yeah, so I grew up in a um, Seventh-day Adventist home and went to Avondale School, Avondale College. And I probably stopped going to church around the age of 13 or 14. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened, but I just in, other things interested in me. And um, yeah, stopped going to church and was led astray. <laughs> and yeah, was off doing other things. <laughs> so would you say you were living a life sort of Far away from God, not very connected to God at all. Not connected to God at all. No, I very I wandered far away. <laughs> okay, so you didn't have too much time for God or reading no. your Bible and praying and no, things. No, from probably the age of yeah, 14 to just recently, I didn't pick up my Bible or pray or anything. Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what changed? So, I went to Costa Rica. Um, a year ago, and I did a water fast. 
problem. Before that, you got. Before that? Yeah, before that, you got sick. Oh, I got sick. Yeah, I, I got sick with a thing called colitis, which is a bowel disease, and um, I thought I could heal it. And I was involved in all these, uh, you know, raw vegan, doing everything I could. Really caught up in that, and almost that was my god. I was really into that actually, and that's how I found out about doing water fasting, and. Um, Actually, before that, God was knocking on my door. Um, he, for some reason, I wanted to get a Bible, and this was when I was probably about 19 years old, and I just thought, oh, I really would like to get a Bible and start reading that. I ended up going to the ABC and buying a Bible, but I put it on my shelf and probably didn't touch it for about three years um, until I got sick and went, yeah, to Costa Rica. So, yeah, I got sick, went to Costa Rica, Nearly died there, um, caught an infection, and um, I, that's where I started praying. <laughs> so you were kind of at the bottom? I was definitely at the bottom. <laughs> I was one of those people that were on their deathbed saying, God, please help me. It was a mercy prayer because uh, I had nowhere else to go. Mm. Yeah. So I was crying out to God, please take away this pain. Please get me through the next night. Please help me. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Wow, so, so when you're at the bottom, you reached out to God, you cried out to Him, and He saved your life. He saved my life, literally saved my life. Wow. Um, and He's brought me on this amazing journey this past year. Even though I've been terribly sick, I've been drawn to Him and just had a relationship with Jesus that I've never had before. Now, um, I want to sort of fast forward from Costa Rica, and um, that was, I think, about 12, just over 12 months ago? Yeah, right now I was yeah, in hospital in Costa Rica. Yeah, you're right now, yeah. this time last, last year, year yeah. you're in, in Costa Rica in hospital. Okay, yeah. so you come back home, your mother flew over there. Yeah, my mama, um, she was a blessing. God planned that to her to come and take me to hospital there, so yeah. yeah. And that's kind of a bit of a miracle story oh. in, in her when she did come because she yes. wasn't supposed to be. No, she wasn't meant to be coming. She just thought, oh, I thought I'd come over to Costa Rica. It was so random that she came, but it was obviously meant to happen because if she didn't come, I'd say I would have died. Wow. <laughs> Gone down in a crisis grave. Wow. So you believe yeah. the Lord literally yep. pulled you from the grave? Yeah. Pulled you from the yep. grave. And there was many people praying for me um, in Australia and in Costa Rica. Mum had met this lady at the hospital and she contacted the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Costa Rica and they were all praying for me there. I didn't know that and they didn't, they didn't know who I was. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. There was lots of prayers being sent up to heaven. Okay. <laughs> and just, just before Christmas, you, um, you ended up again in, in hospital. Things have been really up and down, haven't they? Yeah, they have been. Well, you ended um, up in the Sydney Adventist Hospital? Yes, yep. Um, that was probably my fourth admission that year. But yeah, I ended up in the Sydney Adventist Hospital in December. And, um, yeah, yep. <laughs> you were, um, and then we, we talked about what the Bible says about anointing because you were yes. not in good shape and we talked about that and um, yes. you decided to be anointed? Yes, I was anointed. Pastor Danny came in um, with another pastor, Eddie Hippolyte, and we, I was anointed. Um, and before I got anointed, actually, I'd been in hospital for about two and a half weeks and... Um, we were praying, obviously, every day for healing, and um, but then we decided, me and Mum, let's be more specific about what we're actually praying for, like not just healing, but what is it actually we want. So, I have very high inflammation in my body, which causes all these problems, and we we asked um, for God to take away my inflammation so I could get out of hospital because it was coming up to Christmas time and I wanted to get out of hospital. And um, the next day, my blood test revealed that my inflammation had dropped from 80 to 20, 
So it was really amazing because I've been in hospital for that whole time on all the drugs, nothing was working, like nothing had changed. Even though mum had been praying every day, we were being taught to wait on the Lord <laughs> and just to keep praying and persisting. Wow. So, yeah. so And then I was anointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to I wanna, I wanna just sort of pause here and have you reflect a little on the anointing service. Um, yeah. When I asked you, you may remember, I certainly do, what your response was. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you asking the Lord to do for you? Before we had you anointed, Mm -hmm. I asked you, do you remember the question? I do. What are you asking for the Lord to do for you? Do you remember what your response was? Yeah, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. That's my answer because I want God's will to happen in my life because that's the only thing that I know that's going to bring me happiness and healing really to myself. And, yeah, just to do what he wants me to do. That's so you prayed that prayer, Lord, obviously you want to be well. Take yeah. this cup away from me, yeah. and nevertheless. Yeah, and if it's not his will, then it's not his will. And, but, like, the angels can come strengthen me, just like they did with Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. That was a powerful prayer. That was a very powerful prayer where Leah, at the age of, what, 25? 25. 25. Yep. Um, whole life ahead of you. Yeah. Um, you prayed, Lord. I'm not asking you to heal me. Mm. I'm asking you to do what your will is. I'd love to be well, but Lord, you know what's best for me. Exactly. How did you feel praying that prayer? Just surrendering it into the Lord's hands, whatever the Lord chose to do for you. It was actually quite liberating to surrender my whole will to God. Yeah, just to everything before him. Yeah, it was, yeah. Absolutely. And before we get on to what happened the next day... Mm. in order for the anointing to take place, there, there was some, um, some big decisions you needed to make in your life regarding mm-hmm. surrendering everything, everything into the hands of the Lord. What was that like? Was that a real challenge? Was that a real struggle to, to really think through those things? Yeah, obviously when you're saying prayers, you have to think, look at your life and is there anything that I'm holding back? Is there anything that I know I shouldn't be doing? Um, that's definitely what I wanted to... God to convict me of anything that was in my heart that I know that I should be doing. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously pray God to forgive me for anything that I needed to. Um, But, yeah, there were some tough decisions that I had to make. Um, Me and Josh have been together for nine years now. And um, we were living together. And um, I decided I had to move out. And so I moved to my mum's place when I got out of hospital. So, Mm, yeah. Huge decisions. It was huge decisions, Uh, yeah. Yeah, the importance of, of, of making things right with the Lord, being, yeah. having the, I want, the clean heart. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, want to do what Jesus wants. Yeah. Wow, yeah. amen, <laughs> amen. And then tell us, tell us, what happened the very next day? This is the very next day. The anointing took place on the Friday night. Yes. Um, what happened the next day? Well, the next day I was told that I would be getting out of hospital. Yeah. How did you feel? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> not, completely, well, no, not, no, not, not, no, not completely. I didn't feel, actually, the next day I felt a bit, but the Sunday okay. I was, yeah, picked up completely well and then I was discharged on Monday. So, And the only reason why I was discharged on Monday was because I would have been discharged on the Sunday, but the doctor wasn't there to discharge me, so I had to wait another day in hospital. But it was amazing being anointed and how things just... Have picked up from there. Wow. Yeah. So, so in your experience, you've had God answer your prayers. Yes. Um, like almost immediately. And at then not so times, immediately. At other times, he said no. Yes. And at other times, he said wait. Yes. How has that journey been for you? Yes, no, 
wait. What is that? The waiting like? bit is not as easy as you might think. It's hard, um, especially when you're in pain and you want just the pain to go away. You just wish, you know, why, why, why do I have to go through this? Um, well, I don't like to ask the question why, but because that's never going to get me anywhere. But yeah, waiting is is hard. But then he comes around it, and it's all good. <laughs> and now tell us, um, you're, you're here now, and what what is your greatest desire now? What what do you want to do more than anything else now? Right now, like, well, obviously I still would like to get back to great health, but I'd love to um, get involved in the health ministry and just spread the message of Jesus and share my testimony to more people because this is the first time I've done this. Yeah. yeah. So you want to share what Christ has done in your life? Yes. You've got a real desire? Yes. So you love reading your Bible? Yes. Wow, what a transformation. Yes. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Leah, we just praise God for the way that he has led you yeah. and um, brought you from death to eternal life. Yeah. And uh, we just pray that you'll continue to keep your eyes on Jesus. Me too. <laughs> and thank you for coming to share. It's, a, it's not an easy thing to share. You need to be brave and bold. But Leah, in spite of the enemy not wanting her to be here, has come and she has shared. And I just want to have a prayer for her um, right now that we pray that God will continue to have his hand upon her. And God is not only using Leah to reach out to, to her mother, uh, but using Leah to reach out to her family members, and many others as well. And, um, and we praise God for that, Leah. Let's have a prayer for Leah. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for Leah. We want to thank you for her journey. Father, we don't know where you will lead her from here on in. Um, that is in your hands. And Leah has placed her life in your hands, simply asking and praying for your will to be done in her life and for her to give honor and glory to you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have rescued her from, from, from perishing and you have brought her to your throne of grace and Lord, you are using her now in a mighty way. Thank you, Lord, that she's here today, that the enemy could not have his way and keep her away from sharing what you have done for her and through her. So bless her, Lord, and bless her as she ministers your love to those around her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Leah. I want to finish off the story. Back to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Jesus here concludes in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is Jesus asking us to pray for? He is asking us to pray for the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift that Christ can give to us. The greatest gift that the Father can give to us is to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Comforter. I am sending the one who will lead and guide you. I am sending someone who will be as near to you 
until I come again as I have been to you. I am sending the Holy Spirit. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The role of the Holy Spirit is to fill us. To fill us. To give us that boldness. To give us, to give us the desire to seek and to ask and to knock and to plead to the Father for the bread of life so that when those who come journeying through life and happen to come across our path as they have to Leah's, as they have to mine, as they will to yours, that you and I will be able to give to them the bread of life, the bread of life that leads to eternal life. How do we pray? We pray with everything we have, persistently. Not, not stopping because of the obstacles that are ahead. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Praying and asking for that heavenly bread that we may give to him who is hungry. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And his plan is for us to share the bread of life. To share the bread of life with those who are hungering, with those who are thirsting. With the leaders of this world. Believing that he has. Absolutely. Believing. Ask and believe. Ask and believe and God will provide that I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to our 10 days of prayer coming up in 10 days or so and I'm encouraging each and every one of us to get involved in one way or another hopefully many of us all of us will be able to attend one or more of those meetings there'll be 10 nights every night for an hour we're going to get together and we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will fill us with His Holy Spirit. We're going to pray that God will give us the bread. Not three loaves. Not three. I'm not going to be asking for three. I think three is enough. Three is complete as far as Danny is concerned. But as far as God is concerned, He says, I'll give you as much as you need. And I don't know how much I need. God knows how much I need. I want to have bread. Plenty of bread to share with those who God will place in my way, those who will journey to my home, those who will be seeking for bread at midnight or whenever that may be. And so that's what we're going to be praying for. We're going to be praying that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit, that he will give us holy boldness that we may be willing to share. In the meantime, I encourage you, every Tuesday night we get together and pray in Kurumbong, or in Blue Haven, it's in the bulletin. Every Saturday morning we get together and pray here. After the service, if you'd like to pray, there is a time to pray out there in one of the rooms. Um, let's get together and pray and seek the Lord boldly and not give up. Not give up. Believing, believing that God will answer. He will provide all the bread that you need for yourself and all the bread that you will need to give to those who are in need. any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 
or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. A short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Whilst the Celtic Church was maintaining the pure apostolic faith in the British Isles and evangelizing there as well, the Waldensians were doing the same here in northern Italy. The word Waldensian means people of the valleys. Originally, though, in Italian, it was Valenses with a V. It was translated into the French as Vaudois. But in the 12th century, the V changed to a W, and one of the L's became a D, from where we get the name Waldensian today. The Waldensians did not see themselves as reformers. They did not see themselves as needing to separate from Rome, for they said, we have never belonged to it. They said they are part of the apostolic faith and could trace their origins all the way back to the early centuries. In fact, when we look at the history of the Waldensians over several hundred years, if not millennia, we can see that they were around in the very early centuries, in the fourth century with Vigilantes. We can see them in the seventh, the eighth, the ninth century. Some people say that the first Waldensian was Peter Waldo in the 12th century, but this is not really accurate. Whilst it is true that Peter Waldo was a merchantman from Lyon, he did sell all of his goods and commit his life to the preaching of the gospel. He was not the first Waldensian and their roots trace back much before him. In fact, one of the early names for the Waldensians was actually the word insabati showing clearly that the Waldensians were Sabbath keepers as they were named after the very day upon which they worshipped. As the Waldensians were coming up in the early centuries and the Roman Catholic Church was forming as well, both of them saw the heathens around them as a mission field. But whilst the Roman Catholic Church used the power of the law and the sword and political alliances to win people over, the Waldensians put their faith in the strength of God's Word. When you gaze on the magnificent mountains that surround us, you cannot but admit that God provided a safe retreat for His people. To the Waldensians was given the task of passing the light on to the Protestants of modern time and penetrating the darkness with true Bible doctrine. Indeed, they maintained longer than any group in the struggle to preserve the Bible and primitive Christianity. In upcoming episodes, we're gonna see the caves in which they hid and where they met for worship. 
we're going to see the places where they trained their young people in how to study the Bible and in how to be missionaries. We're also going to climb mountains and see the cliffs over which the Waldensians were hurled to their death in times of persecution. Truly, the Waldensians stand to us today as a group of people who believed in the Bible, as a group of people who believed in mission service. They are a key part of our spiritual lineage today. episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. Having a bad day? Finding your faith in God slipping? Is it getting harder to keep going? Do you sometimes feel as if you're in a race with no strength or encouragement to keep going? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. So stop worrying. Jesus is in the race with you. You only need to trust in his power to strengthen your weakness and encourage you to keep going. Who are you going to trust on a bad day? The Bible operates on a lot of apparent contradictions. The last will be first. He who loses his life shall find it, and so on. Now consider this. Seems counterintuitive, but it's not. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That might sound backwards, but it's in line with God's principle of unselfishness. Scatter, you increase. Keep more end up in poverty. It's an unalterable law of faith in God. If you're tight-fisted towards God, He can't bless what you have. It's much better to have less with God's blessing than more without. Be generous toward God. He's definitely generous towards you. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.